0: Welcome back to Why In The World, thank you for joining us again and I hope you are keeping safe and well. Today we've got a brand new episode with the great Tom Warburton. Tom is a student at the University of Nottingham and is looking to become the youngest ever person to walk to the South Pole from the coast of Antarctica. He'll be covering a distance of about 700 miles in 45 days and will be completely on his own, solo and and self-supported. Obviously with the current situation, we're not entirely sure when this challenge is gonna happen anymore. When we had this conversation, it was slated for this November, so we'll see what happens, but we do know one thing, Tom is going for that record at some point. Important to note as well, this conversation was recorded before any of the current measures were in place. Tom Warburton is on Why in the World. Tom, how are you, man?
1: Yeah, not bad. Yourself. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for uh, thank you for having me in your home. I'm uh, currently drinking a cup of tea out of a, a Donald Trump mug. 45th president of the united
1: states <laughs> i must say we found that mug in the house so <laughs> apologies that was it. Yeah, this is a very student house so
0: <laughs> i like the fact that you uh you came in and you went mate i'm so sorry this is the this is the only mug we've got available <laughs> for people that don't know about you and um, for people that might not have stumbled across you yet give us a little bit of a background about what you're gonna attempt to do towards the end of this year
1: so in november this year I'm heading off to Antarctica to attempt to become the youngest person to walk to the South Pole solo, uh, which my mum's not too happy about. Mm. With that, kind of the associated training, um, spending a lot of time in cold places, Mm. off to Iceland and off to Greenland. We
0: actually spoke about this before the mics went on, telling your mum that you were going to do this, and I'm sure that was a... I'm sure that was something you weren't really looking forward to, not just your mum, but your family and your friends as well. What was kind of their reaction when you said, look, I want to i want to go and attempt to get this record?
1: The initial record was kind of drawn up in the pub, potentially after a few too many. <laughs> I think my mum was just like, you idiot, what are you doing? You're just going to die, or you've never been to Antarctica. You've barely been to cold places. It doesn't snow where we are. You're an absolute idiot. But um, certainly over the next few weeks and months as I kind of drew out the plan and kind of showed her that this is a very viable like viable plan to to actually do this and it can be achieved The confidence kind of grew a little bit yeah. and then certainly over the last few months um, they've been very very supportive um, and I actually couldn't do it without them mm. just been kind of talking to their friends helping with sponsors helping we had a big launch event in Bedford my mum was kind of running around making sure everyone was kind of well-drinked and looking after everyone so they've been a massive help now how old are you man? Uh, I'm 21. So and what's the
0: record at the moment?
1: Uh, the current record is 26 and a bit.
0: Okay, so you're going to be well under the current <laughs> yes, record.
1: Yes, yeah, I've got a few years on it. So,
0: The solo nature of this adventure is pretty extreme and is pretty nerve-wracking, I would imagine. There's no support when you're out there necessarily. How do you go about sort of getting that into your head that you're kind of alone once this thing started?
1: The isolation side of the expedition is, is something I found to be the hardest part. Mm. it's not something you can really prepare for if I i and told tell my mum or my friends that I, to prepare for Antarctica I want to spend 50 days on my own not speaking to anyone basically sitting in a fridge they'd all think I'm nuts so kind of working with we work with a great company called Optimal X are so kind of like ex um, British Army XSF, SF kind of guys dealing with kind of the mental side and then the physical and, and stuff like that but also kind of so I've done counselling uh, just to work with isolation because certainly when I was training in Norway It was a big shock to me I didn't I always thought I was quite mentally strong and then kind of spending two weeks on your own having not seen anyone it's a real shock to actually think right this is weird I don't know what to do like I miss my family I miss my friends and you kind of what I did want to stop in Antarctica and uh, not to happen it's kind of getting a downward spiral of just like thinking oh what am I doing here I should just give up so certainly preparing for the isolation and the isolation is certainly the hardest part i found. Mm. And so working with kind of the various bits around here to, to try and reduce that.
0: When was this like concrete? When did you decide I'm going to go and do this?
1: So I think I was sitting in a cafe in Tesco um, and it was probably a week after the pub sesh, that's to say. And it, I'd kind of been looking at planning all week and then it kind of clicked and it was like, this this is happening. This, is, this can actually happen now. Mm. And that was, oh, I think I was... Laughing my head off in the middle of Tesco, it was a bit weird, really. But uh, since
0: that point to where we are now, has there been any moments where you're like, I think you
1: might have bitten off a bit more than you can chew here, buddy? Like, have you thought that to yourself? <laughs> Absolutely, every day, it's <laughs> <laughs> every day you kind of wake up, and like, oh, what, there's just another big obstacle today. Um, certainly with sponsors, I think anyone who's done this kind of big expedition will tell you the sponsorship is the hardest, mm. you can prepare as much kind of physically as much kind of polar training but sponsorship kind of always ends up to having a drink with someone in a bar that seems to be how I've managed to get some of my sponsors just like not even going out to get a sponsor just to kind of mention it in the pub mm. and then someone's like oh yeah I've got a mate you can do this to the
0: yeah it must be so much extra pressure to put on yourself as well. And you're talking about the physical preparation. Obviously, that's a hell of a lot of pressure to start with and this record kind of hanging over your head and the fact that you said you want to do this and this is the time you're doing it. And like it puts all these kind of deadlines on Mm. you. Does it feel like extra pressure, the fundraising?
1: Absolutely. And certainly the hardest part I found was that you have to kind of come out and publicly say you're going to do it because age is kind of something that you can't hold, you'll always grow older. So someone could always just take your record whilst you're preparing. So you kind of have to scare off other people. There was certainly one lad who we thought might potentially be doing the same as I'm doing and he's a bit younger than me. So we kind of had to get out there a bit more publicly when we didn't have funding confirmed and kind of scare him off and say, this is actually happening, like mate, you've got no chance of doing it. (laughs) And it's kind of, it's really disconcerting to kind of put so much on the line and kind of go out there and go, yeah, I'm going to do this when you don't know it's necessarily gonna happen.
0: Do you feel pressure?
1: Yeah, I mean, anyone who does an expedition feels pressured. Mm. Probably pressure for myself. My family and friends have been very supportive and and so have my sponsors actually. But the pressure of getting there and the pressure of of achieving it is kind of massive.
0: How do you think you're gonna feel if you do get to that point?
1: (laughs) I, I haven't even really thought about it yet. It's, I mean, so kind of stuck up with the expedition and planning and preparation that I think getting to Antarctica will be the weirdest part. And I mean, I've think i spoken to Ben Saunders about this and he says it's almost 100 miles an hour before you get to Antarctica and then you get dropped off on the plane and there's no one there. And you're like, there's no emails to send. There's no phone calls to answer. There's no sponsorship meetings, no media meetings. And it's just you and silence and nothing else for 50 days.
0: And it's not something you can train for that really, is it? Because you're going through this whole circus of preparation and then suddenly you're just like, oh. This is this is it for the next fair bit of time.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, I can imagine it's kind of like an Olympic event when you've trained for years and years, and then ten seconds kind of define mm. define your life. And it's certainly this has been the last two and a half years, three years worth of prep, mm. and it'll be dropped off in Antarctica, and it'll be like, oh, well, this is happening now. This is it's how do actually
0: even get to the start line? Talk us through that.
1: Yeah, so logistically, it, it's not a quick Ryanair flight. It's um, <laughs> So there's a great company called Antarctic Logistics Expeditions who pretty much sort everything out um, and they kind of help any kind of person trying to get to Antarctica. So you kind of fly from England to, to Chile, then Chile onto Union Glacier, which is a camp in Antarctica, and then fly to the coast and then walk to South Pole and then back to Union Glacier.
0: And how does it work when you do get there? I'm just going to use the phrase when you get there because I <laughs> believe that's going to happen. Do you have to turn around and come back?
1: No, so... Hopefully, the people, nice people in the South Pole, will give me a cup of tea and and a well done, um, and then I'll kind of wait for a good window and, and head back to Union Glacier. Okay,
0: um, I was thinking that today. I was like, he doesn't have to walk all the way back as well, does he? No,
1: I definitely couldn't do that. There's no, I'd probably be crawling to the South Pole.
0: With the fact that it is solo and self-supported, talk to me about where you carry your food, where you sleep, all that sort of stuff. How does that logistically work?
1: Uh, so it's actually almost very simple so being self-supported is much simpler than any kind of supported expedition so I have a big sledge we call it a polk and I carry all of my stuff in there so it's about 13 stone I, I never know the kind of kilograms to that but because I always talk about school children 83-ish uh, 83 yeah I always go oh, it's about as heavy as me and I kind of walk every day to the 10-12 miles every day put my tent down Have a have a kip up sleep repeat And that kind of makes it very simple Mm. um, and much simpler than normal life, certainly.
0: It's just going to be like your job, I suppose.
1: Yeah, it's it's certainly. And I've been in the Army Reserve for a while and certainly during training, how you kind of, you marched or yumped or tabbed everywhere. It's almost very similar, kind of getting up, doing your admin, walking for a bit, Mm. going to bed.
0: You're going to put a hell of a lot of calories out there. Yes, yes. It's cold and you're going to be doing what you're doing, of course, dragging the sled, you know, like you said, for those distances a day. Um, food must be something that you're uh, you're not concerned about but um, it's going to be something it's very important obviously to get as many calories in as you can Um, have you prepared with the food that you're going to eat and things like that yeah
1: absolutely so I think probably starting off this expedition I was kind of still a student so the student (laughs) diet was still very much prominent in my life shout out out.
0: to the pot noodle
1: (laughs) yeah pot noodle kebab and a beer Um, and that certainly helped me put on weight but it wasn't really the the right type of weight so i ended up working with some great guys optimal x who were kind of very tailored my diet to what i need to do Mm. and i think they made me eat fruit which i hadn't eaten as a student for about three years which was just bizarre
0: (laughs) your body's like what is this nutrients (laughs) Uh,
1: so a lot of nut butters a lot of fruit red meat white meat fish and some of their kind of powders and sports, and they were they were really sporting me with that. Initially, I thought kind of you need to the old style of polar diet, so put on a lot of weight, kind of have a bit of fat about you. But actually, they were it wasn't such like that. Mm. Yeah, uh, so
0: I was going to say you're very lean, and obviously getting out there is going to be very very cold. I didn't know whether it was going to have to be a fact of just nailing as many of them kebabs and beers as you needed to
1: unfortunately it's not anymore but uh...
0: <laughs> it's the old school diet so when you're out there and when you're actually on the expedition itself what will you be eating
1: so kind of if anyone's done any kind of DAV style expeditions or any expeditions you kind of your expedition foods your fire pot foods uh, some of those kind of freeze dried meals mm. and then kind of supplements just to support so kind of nut butters and stuff like that and then a, a few odd Snickers and Mars Piles, probably.
0: Obviously, it's going to be really cold. Yes, like, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be very, very cold. What sort of temperatures are we expecting?
1: Uh, so it's not actually as bad as people expect. And I never want to say it's like boiling hot. I've got a big polar jacket now. I'm sure you probably saw as we walked through. Yeah, yeah. I always look like stormsy when I'm wearing it. <laughs> it's probably minus 12, minus 10. Still uh, pretty cold, Still man. pretty cold. And then the windshield adds on. But actually, as you're skiing, you burn a lot of calories and you're quite hot. So you, you you never see many people in their big polar jackets kind of skiing. I always think that's mm. such a PR thing. Uh, certainly, every time I've been skiing, been training in Norway and Iceland, I've kind of been in my like base layers. Like, mm. This is boiling. Like, so, what are you worried about then? Getting lost—that's my one of my biggest worries. And then the mental side, certainly, just sits. There, there's no one to talk to when you're in your tent, mm. and you're in. Your, I think whilst you're walking, it'll be okay. Uh, you're kind of concentrating on what you need to do next, this and that. But when you kind of get into your tent and everything's done for the day, it's just you and yourself. There's no TV to watch. I brought a book to Norway and it froze. which, And I'd borrowed that book from libraries. They were very annoyed when I came. (laughs) So certainly the the isolation is going to be hard. Because I've never not spoken to someone for 50 days. There's not many people you have.
0: Mm, I suppose as well that when you're there on your own, it's going to be so easy for that self-doubt to kind of creep in. Whereas when you've got a group around you or family or friends or whatever... They're saying, oh, don't be stupid. Like, you're doing amazing. You're doing amazing. Is that something you're going to have to practice, do you think, and be hugely aware of, that kind of self-doubt and making sure that you're always withholding that positive mental
1: attitude? Absolutely. So kind of getting rid of any negative, like blocking, just blocking out negative thoughts Mm because you can very easily get into a a spiral of kind of doubt and kind of thinking, what am I doing here? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of the worst thing you want to be in. It is an incredibly
0: interesting expedition to to take on because there's so many different variables there's obviously the weather there is the mental side of it there is the distance itself there's the record and there's the pressure as well of course and you're still like 21 year old guy you're a young guy why this why did you decide that this was something you wanted to do there must have been a an inspiration or there must be a point to all of this
1: I've certainly asked myself that quite a bit I mean I'd always been kind of running around in trees And i always been fascinated by Antarctica Just because it's kind of the last true frontier of any exploration that kind mm. of very, The greats of any exploration have kind of started off in Antarctica And kind of once uh, Scott Sears had completed his record It was kind of a kick in the backside to say actually this is possible It's not unattainable and certainly through my army reserves, like it gave me the kind of confidence with like the navigation and the kind of the basic admin. Um, and they've been a massive help as well supporting this.
0: Mm. You mentioned navigation and you mentioned it as being one of the things you're a little bit worried about. Explain for people that don't know how that navigation is even going to work, because I presume when you're out there, it just looks very white.
1: Yeah, it looks very white and it can be quite rudimental the navigation wise. So kind of just kind of simple compass bearings really. Mm. Um it's not much to go on. I'm actually on a navigation course today, just to brush up uh, a bit more, just because it's there's not it's very featureless. Yeah. So it's, it's not. It's quite disconcerting. So to you literally navigate. just point one way and just go. Pretty much, yeah. Very much compass bearing.
0: And have you ever been anywhere that is going to kind of mirror the conditions that that you're going to experience out there?
1: So certainly not before this expedition, <laughs> but certainly I've been to Norway, been to Iceland, uh, training, um, and up in Scotland a few times. So. Mm. Uh, so I've done about two weeks in Norway. Sorry, about four weeks in Norway, two weeks in Iceland. Uh, every, pretty much every weekend now, I'm spending in Scotland just to get as much cold training in and kind of navigation training in.
0: Let's talk about your physical neck. you obviously look in pretty good shape and stuff. But how how is all the preparation going in terms of
1: physical preparation? I'd always been a runner. Uh, quite a big. I loved running, uh, so I had a kind of a runner's physique, which isn't necessarily the best for Antarctic mm. conditions. So I did a lot more weights, which I think my body was shocked by. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So kind of just certainly more rigid and structured training plan, which I was probably as a student was being a bit lazy with just going, oh yeah, I'll do a bit of weights yeah. here and there. And it's, it's definitely working. Certainly when I'm dragging tyres around, um, I think you passed them as we were coming in, which I have to do about two in the morning, four in the morning, because I live in the middle of Nottingham. So doing it in the middle of the day, I just get abused by people and... <laughs> I always end up on like some weird Facebook page. Why like, is there a
0: guy dragging training? a tyre around Nottingham <laughs> City Centre? Absolutely.
1: It's, yeah, it's quite tragic. So my body certainly changed throughout the expedition, which is, or the training for the expedition. And that's, it's interesting to see actually from when I would used to struggle to pull 10, 12 miles a day on, on the tyres. And now it's almost nothing. I and mean, kind of the simple weights, you kind of, as I became more of a rigid and structured training plan. How initially the, these sets of weights were hurting and now they're not hurting and I can tell when I come to Antarctica that will all pay off
0: Do you think you're going to get bored of preparation because obviously this isn't going to happen till it's November isn't it that you're mm-hmm. going do you think you're going to get from now till then like
1: a little bit oh god I just want to get out there now I want to get this done A little bit but then in terms of preparation changes throughout the stages of the expedition so certainly the, the last stages of the expedition are getting a bit more almost easier right? mm. so it's almost like designing a colour scheme for uh, for the sledge <laughs> or making brochures. Microsoft Paint. Yeah, stuff like that. And it's not as stressful. It's kind of, you can kind of chill at home and relax and do it. Mm. Whereas the initial stages where it's like, just every day, 20, 30 emails off to sponsors, calling them and chasing them and mm. and then like a massive long physical plan and and stuff like that. As I get closer to the expedition, it's it's much nicer. And then certainly with sponsors they've got on board so they've kind of helped almost ease the burden a little bit on on stuff like pr and stuff like mm. marketing and, and kind of just double checking equipment
0: how are you dealing with that side of things because a lot of people are very interested in you like you've spoke to a lot of people i know there's lots of other bits and bobs floating around all the time is that a bit weird people are like oh we're really excited we're really interested about this
1: yes yeah, and i feel a bit it's a bit weird because i'm i'm just 21 i'm not compared to other people in Antarctica they've Mm. done so much more than me and I would never knock them at all I don't know where the the media attention's come from but I I suppose to make BBC breakfast this morning Um, I've been in Sky News BBC News Mm. uh, The Times Guardian Um, and compared to some other much more bigger Antarctic stars and people who've done much more than me and will always do much more than me I've somehow managed to get a bit more media coverage and I think that's because of my age it's kind of bizarre because I I feel like a bit of a fraud because I'm not really...
0: Yeah, everyone kind of talks about that imposter syndrome. I've spoke to a lot of people on the podcast that always talk about kind of feeling a little bit like, oh, why Why is everyone like, why do <laughs> you me kind of thing? And I think that's one of the things that is really lovely about, about yourself and also about people that are, do big challenges. A lot of the time it is for total intrinsic factors. Like, you just want to do it. It's just something you want to do. You want mm-hmm. to get this record. And most of the time it's for yourself. But if it's interesting to other people, then... I'll share my story.
1: I've kind of recognised now that I need to share my story because after the expedition, uh, polar exploration and adventure at all is very kind of shut off. Normally, a polar explorer is kind of well-educated, middle class, often has a military background. And as I've gone to schools and talked about the expedition, everyone's been interested. Like, you ask a 10-year-old, do you want to walk to the South Pole? They're like, yes, of course I do. But... <laughs> Actually, from a lot of disadvantaged backgrounds and communities, the world of adventure and polar exploration is very shut off. So we wanted to kind of close that off and kind of get rid of that, um, and make polar exploration open for anyone. Britain has a massive history of polar exploration, which I think we should all be proud of, and I'd love to continue that on. And that shouldn't just be the kind of pastime of the elite or pastime of the the well off. So, I've been going to schools and kind of youth groups to kind of talk about polar exploration and kind of say that I'm just a normal guy. I'm not, I did a bit of climbing, a bit of hill walking, a bit of mountaineering, but I wasn't born in Norway skiing. Anyone can do it. So, after the expedition, I'm actually training someone to break my own record. So, we're going to find someone from a disadvantaged background, someone who wouldn't be a polar explorer, who would never potentially even dream of being able to do it actually guide them, teach them, help them with sponsorship, kind of help them with training, and get them to break my own record. That's very admirable, isn't it? Because,
0: you know, records are there to be broken, obviously. But to actually train somebody to break your own record and for them to be able to learn from your mistakes,
1: that's going to be a gift to them, really, isn't it? The polar world's been so supportive of me. and I was just some, I think it was some 19-year-old when I was like, oh, I want to walk to the South Pole. Oh. And... Um, No one was, oh, don't be ridiculous, don't be so stupid. Everyone was so supportive, and I'd love to kind of give back to that. Mm. And like you said, records are supposed to be broken. So Scott Sears have helped me, Jenny Davis has helped me. Anyone who's kind of got a big record behind them, they've all helped me. And I think I literally just want to walk to the South Pole because I've always wanted to do it. Mm. The record is, uh, I'm not going to lie, it's quite a nice thing to say. But at the end of the day, it'd be much nicer to see someone actually get that confidence who never ever dreamed of doing something like this and actually Mm. give them and inspire them to do it
0: you mentioned that obviously we've got quite a rich heritage here in this country of polar exploration why do you think that is because let's be honest it's not (laughs) the country that you'd think would have
1: a rich history of that yes i mean i don't know the last time it snowed where i am certainly when you go to norway everyone's skiing and everyone's the, the kind of traditional polar countries i think the british kind of have a an attitude of ah it's not that bad we'll give it a go <laughs> yeah we just don't experience it so we think ah it's, <laughs> it's not it's only bad. snow isn't it it's one foot in front of another That's yeah. uh, I mean that's kind of the attitude that historically people have had and we've got great support networks in the UK so the RGS the, the British Mountaineering Council so kind of support networks are there to carry mm. on these kind of expeditions is that the attitude you're going in with them one foot in front of the other uh, I think certainly when I get there yeah there's certainly there's risks that you always have to manage and look out for and, and the idea of it's just one foot in front of another is something I would never advocate because there's a lot of preparation, a lot of watching out for what you're doing. But actually, I think while you're still there, you've got to go 10 miles today, 10 miles tomorrow. Mm. There's only 50 more days. (laughs) (laughs) Only. Talk to me about risks then. It's Antarctica. As as you can imagine, there's a lot of risks. So crevasses, um, just the cold weather, wind, uh, the isolation. Um, The risks are quite varied. And something you can't really prepare for, I think, fully until you get there. You can do as much training as you want, but actually until you get there, I think you're like, ah, this is actually, this is happening now. So I've done crevasse courses, practiced in crevasses, but I'm still petrified of crevasses whilst I'm there. And I don't think anyone's fallen down a crevasse in Antarctica for a long time. Mm. But just the isolation's another injury. Like no one's checking your back. No one's there to double check what you're doing. How does that work if you get an injury? So the great team at ALE should be able to kind of support me and help me out. So it really depends on the injury. So, if I'm walking wounded, I think I'll just carry on going. So Jenny Davis has got polar fire at the moment. She managed to keep on going, which is amazing. And I'd love to say I could do the same. I'm not sure I might might be crying for my mum and be like, oh, I want you, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be warm. Do you uh, have a sat phone then? Yes, yeah, so yeah. two sat phones and then satellite internet as well. Okay. Um, so we'll be broadcasting from Antarctica to kind of various youth groups and schools and corporates talking about Antarctica and whilst are you're out there whilst I'm out there hopefully it'll work we feel like it might yeah
0: it should work but you, it's just another thing that you've got to think about would be <laughs> Yeah, the main
1: worry I would have thought certainly but the sat phones are essential for my own safety and also keeping people informed yeah things. definitely keeping, keeping your mum happy I would imagine <laughs> yes, being one of yeah. the main
0: reasons it's quite obvious that this isn't going to be the only thing for you and I would imagine that this has been on your mind now for the past you know you've mentioned two or three years it must be quite heavy that is kind of on your mind constantly because everything you do and all the sacrifice that you i'm imagining are making is all because of this trip and all because of this 50 days that you're going to do following it do you think there's going to be a period of sort of oh god like whew. That was a that was a long time. Let's have a let's have a little bit of a break. Or do you think you're obviously you're training somebody else afterwards? Do you think you'll just roll into someone else straight away? I've I thought about
1: this a lot. I think I'd definitely go somewhere sunny for a bit, just chill in the sun, relax, because I've spent too much time in the cold now. Yeah. Um, Your body's like,
0: <laughs> what is this? <laughs>
1: the sun. Certainly a bit of relaxing, but actually it's quite important to get back into it. I think um just for kind of my like, to keep myself busy, really. I think my mate messaged me the other day and said, I've got i've got a canoe doing a canoe down somewhere and i was like, oh, sounds cool. like sounds like a good idea and then i was actually in the pub the other day with another mate and he was like no one's crossed the sahara properly and i said like, oh, i wonder if i could do the largest cold desert and the largest hot desert in a year oh. um <laughs> but i think people
0: need to stop giving you yeah ideas. i think people
1: i think i need to stop going to the pub to buy um, you a
0: king size bed and say sleep
1: think, yes yeah i think that's probably that is certainly one thing i'll do sleep but kind of getting back into it and kind of working with the outreach scheme is is the main focus after the expedition. So training people up, going to schools, going to youth groups. Is that a passion you've got? Because
0: you mentioned it quite a few times in terms of the the training people up and being able to talk to people and
1: kind of sharing your story with the younger generation. It seems like a huge passion. It's certainly quite rewarding. Kids always ask the weirdest questions. (laughs) I was at a talk and this kid stood up in the middle of this assembly. There's like 200 people there and just told me that his mum and dad were getting divorced. And I was like... (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> anyway, this is the South Pole. Um, and the kids won't judge you as well. It's quite nice. They'll yeah. always be happy to see you, which is good. Um, as I went to, I did a speech at Oxford last year, and all the questions were like, "Oh, it's minus 11.5 there," and like you said, it's minus 12. I'm like, oh, kids just go, oh, they're polar bears. <laughs> um, so there's certainly a much easier audience to to, offer, to cater for. Do you uh, think you'll stay in the cold weather? Realm or
0: do you think your mind is kind of like it's happy to flick flack between lots of different adventures?
1: Uh I think I'll stick in the cold weather kind of realm for a little bit. Maybe not immediately after Antarctica, but mm. certainly probably twenty twenty one I might head off back to Norway just a probably a bit more relaxed kind of polar trip, so maybe with a few mates and you know, from almost boffy to boffy style. A relaxed polar <laughs> trip. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know
0: they existed. You're obviously twenty one, we've covered that quite a few times. And I would imagine, you know, as everyone is at 21, they always have people saying, oh, so what are you going to do? What's the plan? What's the five-year <laughs> goal? What's this? What's that? And I'm sure you've had people saying, oh, so, so what's the backup plan? Or, or what are you going to do after this? Or, you know, what what's the career going to be? Is this the <laughs> career? And you kind of, I would imagine you're kind of like, well, just let me get this done first and then we'll see, see what's what. But I'm going to ask the same question. Do you see... Adventure and do you see your life circumnavigating this route, if you will?
1: Uh, I mean, if someone would happily pay me to do it, I'd uh, I wouldn't say no. Mm. I love doing it, even the stresses. You kind of smile and go, "This is this is a very kind of almost privileged stress to have." Like, what kind of color scheme am we going to have on my sledge as I walk to the south pole? I love the. Do
0: we have any idea about color schemes? Rose
1: gold. No, um, (laughs) I. Certainly after the sponsors, I think they're more of a deciding factor yeah. in that. But um, in terms of making this a kind of a full-time career, I mean, I wouldn't say no, but uh, I've got to be realistic as well. People are very lucky if they can make this their full-time job. Mm. So I think after the expedition, I'm, I'm joining the army, which kind of has a bit of adventure in it. And I've kind of been, there's a lot of cold weather stuff I can do there. So that should be. Why the army? I think probably why. the Same as Antarctica, I was always kind of running around trees and stuff like that and climbing up stuff and yeah it almost seemed like the perfect opportunity to, mm. uh,
0: to do it is there anybody or any advice that you you've been given over the past couple of years that you're going to really hold on to throughout that 50 days that you're out there
1: i think ranel fines told me to look after big advice <laughs> <laughs> look after my 21 digits and he meant 10 fingers and, and 10 toes and then you have a digit, but that's probably not. <laughs> that was the only advice I can think of. I think most I think most of the advice I've been given isn't really appropriate for uh, for a podcast. Um, <laughs> but ventilating a tent, you always imagine you should keep your tent nice and warm, but keep it ventilated to stop, uh, stop it freezing. Where are you going to go to the toilet? There you go. Uh, <laughs> How does that work out there? It's a big spade and a piss bottle i've kind of labeled the expedition a bit like the lone ranger so i've had a cowboy hat on some of my expeditions and i always finish a speech off by doing the good the bad and the ugly so i do the good like the great scenery the bad doing the kind of the cold weather and then the ugly i just do a picture of mine kind of my shovel and, my <laughs> and just finish out that if that's how you finish a talk man let's finish the podcast
0: there as well mate really, thank you so much Thanks for having huge me. good
1: luck out there and um let's catch up after
0: what an inspirational young man Tom is. Again, a massive thank you to him for coming on Why in the World. And I've got no doubt he'll get the record whenever it may be. And we will sit down post that to recount his experience. I want to say a big thank you to you as well for all of the kind words and positive feedback about our new look. We've got a new logo and a new look over on at why in the world's pod on Instagram. We appreciate all of the comments that we've been getting. Nothing else is changing about the show, though. We've just had a little upgrade when it comes to our look. I want to say as well, I hope you are all staying safe and well, and thank you to everybody that has rated and reviewed on Apple Podcasts. We've seen an upsurge in April, so I do really appreciate that. Uh, If you haven't rated and reviewed yet and you do listen on Apple Podcasts, please get that done for us. It just really helps us out. And uh, yeah, again, I do greatly, greatly appreciate it. You will have a brand new episode of Why in the World in two weeks time. And until then, please do stay safe.